any of these laws are going to have a long list of requirements, security requirements, notice requirements, meaning that wonderful privacy notice. I'm sure all of us have read thoroughly uh, the thing around cookies. There's all kinds of requirements, but you can't, and you actually mentioned right to be forgotten, which is under GDPR and under almost every new modern data privacy law out there. You can't begin to create an accurate privacy notice, which mind you is required for employees in California and in the EU and other countries. You can't begin to do that for your customers. You can't begin to do any of the individual rights or even that question we just talked about, can you or should you, if you don't know what data you have and where it is. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Our guest today is Jody Daniels, Jody's founder and CEO of Red Clover Advisors, a privacy consultancy that brings data privacy, strategy, and compliance together with its flexible and scalable approach that simplifies data privacy complexity, refines up updates or builds privacy structure and makes both the business and the legal issues accessible and actionable for all. Jody is also a certified information privacy professional and serves as the outsourced privacy office for many of her clients. Jody is host of the She Said Privacy, He Said Security podcast and is a sought-after speaker and commentator on privacy issues. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Jody. Well, hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for hey, having me. Thank you for being here. So let's just start at the beginning. What is a certified information privacy professional? It's a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, it is. A lot of consonants there. Yeah. It's it's a mouthful. In short, we just say SIP. That's kind of the short name for it. But it's it's the uh, oh my goodness, I'm I'm totally blanking this morning. It is the credential that privacy professionals have. It's issued by the, we have lots of acronyms, of course, like all good fields, uh, Information Association of Privacy Professionals. So the IAPP is the leading privacy association in the world. And they have different credentials, often by geography. So United States, EU, Canada, um, we could keep going with a long list of different letters that you can have after your name. So if anyone is looking for privacy help, you really want to have someone who has at least one of those credentials after it. Right. Because like what privacy laws state to state in the U.S. are different. I know California is, you know, very different than Texas. Uh, but then you've got the EU has their own their own standards and then. Uh, so, so you want a privacy professional who understands what's going on in your region, wherever you're at. Is that what you, is that kind of the idea? Well, in, like all, I think credentials, they kind of start to overlap a little bit. And when you start to look at privacy laws, they are definitely different at the same time, they have some common themes and some common principles. So I think you want someone who at least has a credential, at least one of them. I don't necessarily think you need the exact credential for the region that you're asking about because most professionals are busy working and taking care of their companies or their clients. And there's only so many tests that we 
everyone wants to be able to take. And there really is some of that overlap. So you want at least one of them. But again, I don't think you have to have it for every different region. So to be an expert in privacy is a pretty tight niche for somebody to go into. How did you get into that? It's always an interesting story, I think, with how people find their journey. So uh, quite honestly, I started as a CPA at Deloitte in the audit practice, and it was all about process and financial controls. Fast forward, moved through a couple different finance and strategy roles at some large corporations, and then found myself at autotrader.com building a targeted ad network. So before Facebook ads stalked you online for the shoes that you bought or didn't buy, I did that for cars. If you came to the site and were browsing for whatever kind of car, we would serve you an ad once you left that site and you went to check out a long list of other sites. And the online advertising industry came together and said, you know, we should prevent government legislation. And they banded together and came up with a self-regulation that companies needed to adhere to. I was responsible for that at the company. And I thought this was pretty interesting. And we needed someone paying attention to privacy full-time. And I decided to move myself into that, kind of convince senior management I could do it. And that's how I got into privacy. So, yeah. And that sounds like it's like HR. Most of the HR professionals that I know weren't planning on being HR professionals. That's not what they were thinking about when they were 12 years old and what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, But one, one path led to the other and and we found our way and, you know, we got a unique set of skills that we can use that, that help, you know, that help companies uh, leverage, you know, their, their, their people to, to execute their mission. So that's interesting. The, so you started in that world, the much aligned, uh, mis- you know, or much maligned uh, profession of ad tracking, which uh, everybody complains about, but quite honestly, I'm grateful for because I would much rather see ads for the thing, you know, for the things that I'm interested in than, you know, something that's, you know, totally outside of, of my ballywick. I mean, it does mean that I probably spend more money on online purchases than I ought, but, uh, but those are my, my choices. So how, what is, what's the current thinking about, you know, tracking at, on that piece. You know, what does the privacy industry say um, is, is appropriate or not appropriate? Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, and how has that changed since you were doing it at AutoTrader? Well, a lot to unpack there. So a couple different thoughts. First, I think like many industries and professionals, you have different sides of the coin. Some people think that there's a place for targeted ads and we just have to make sure that companies are are doing the right thing and how they're collecting it. Other people think there should be absolutely zero tracking and tracking of any kind is evil and terrible. Some people are kind of a little bit in the middle with, well, some tracking's okay if you let me decide what's going to happen. And and you kind of have everybody in between. I think what has happened is first was kind of interesting, as I mentioned, that self-regulation that we had. And I kind of joke it worked for almost 10 years because then we started moving into a regulated state. And why is that? Well, because a variety of companies didn't do the right thing. They collected, they shared, they ultimately sold. And all of us here had no idea what was happening. 
And the principles of privacy are about notice and transparency. Tell me what you're doing and be honest about it. And then let me decide what I think about that. So choice, notice and choice. And there's a long list of other kind of basic principles. But if we just look at those two, that means a whole bunch of companies didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like what happened in kindergarten where someone didn't do what there's, you know, a good thing. And now we have a rule that you have to sit here before you can go there. You can't hit this person or that person or no scissors, right? All the rules come because someone did something that someone else didn't anticipate. Now we have a rule. And I do think there's a place for personalized ads, for personalized content. It drives me bonkers when I keep getting ads and I like the brands, but I don't want the thing anymore. Just can I like tell you to stop giving me that? Or, you know, other environments where you listen to maybe one song and now they think that's who you are, except it is a hundred percent wrong. I mean, I won't name names. However, it's just blatantly terrible. So there's a place for this value and personalization. And where we're moving is more in the notice era, more in the choice. And we have to do it now within these rules. But the rules, one could argue, are they good? Are they too strenuous? Someone has to start them somewhere. And if companies do the right thing, you tell me what you're doing, you offer me my choices. What's happening now in the marketing industry is it's a little bit of a battle of do I opt in to give you that data or do I just tell you and let you opt out? And that's kind of a bit of where the battle is. And then there's a massive battle for anyone listening who definitely has audiences or customers or employees globally. The way countries view this issue is vastly different. Some countries outside of the United States take a much stricter approach, and it is the individual's data. And we are moving to this in the United States, but it's a little bit more challenging because we're such a capitalistic society. It's company first, person second. And we're like trying to move the person kind of up there, but it's not quite there yet. As opposed to other countries where they view the person first. And in those countries, the era of the kind of ads and marketing we've had is is gone. And it is a opt-in era. Tell me what you're doing. And even then, it kind of depends on the tracking of what you're doing. Well, so like Europe's GDPR. Okay, yeah, and the you know everything from the right to be forgotten, but and and how that is transferred. Those are the kind of, I guess the term privacy is what always confuses me. What does it mean? What does privacy mean? Because it seems more like just the attitude that I I own my data or the data about me at some level, and. And, and I guess, so define privacy and what's the official industry definition of privacy versus security or versus confidentiality? Because uh, I know you, you host a podcast with uh, your husband. Uh, she said privacy. He said security. And so even those two, the framing of that is kind of sounds like we've got two different takes on these two different issues. So what do, what do those terms mean in when we're actually talking about them in, in, in this context? Absolutely. The way I like to separate those is imagine we go online and we buy something and we give that company our name and our address and our email and financial information to get whatever it is we've bought. They're going to store it in all their systems. From a security standpoint, we want to make sure that bad actors 
don't get access to that data. We don't want our credit cards to be stolen. We want our address to remain in the company. We want that to be protected. So kind of imagine you had a big data box and we put stuff around it to lock it. And only the people in the company who need access to it have access to it. And that's it. But of the people who have access to it, that doesn't mean that they can't use it however they want to. So if the marketing team has access to that information, because thank you for buying good number one, I'm so glad you like it. I'd like to hear how you like it. Can you leave us a review? Can you buy more stuff? Those are all reasonable things that a company would want to do. It wants to keep the customer more than one time. So they might have access to that data. Well, what do they do with that data? How much do they email me? Do they share it with this partner that I have over here that, you know what, thank you for buying this product. Here's a wonderful partner over here. We think you might like that too. And if they want to go online and buy data to try and target you to buy more stuff, or maybe you didn't convince me the first time I came to your site, I wasn't sold, you want to lure me back. All of that is privacy. How you use the information, how you share the information is privacy. Security is a component of privacy. Part of it is I gave you the data. I expect you to do the right thing with it. And part of that is protect it. So security is a significant element of privacy. It's just not the only part of privacy. <clears throat> and from a confidentiality perspective, depending on the kind of information that I've given you and what you need to do with it, I expect that you're going to use it only for the purpose that I gave it to you in the first place and that I think would be reasonable. So I, it's reasonable for you to need to send that information to FedEx to send me my thing. It's reasonable for you to put it in your marketing systems because I know you're going to sell me more stuff. It might not be reasonable to put out my name and everything that I bought or my name and my age out on a social media thing or to share a testimonial with all my personal information. That wouldn't be reasonable. And from a confidentiality perspective, you also want to think about you know, any other information that you've gleaned about me. Think of a B2B context. How much revenue does my company have? Or what special project am I working on? Right? Often in a B2B context, we're, we're signing NDAs, we're signing agreements. And confidentiality is an important part. And it might not include the person's name. It, it might not be you have personal information, but you have company information. So we want to kind of take that same concept and apply it to people because the idea from a people perspective is I'm trusting you that you're going to deliver on the product or service and I trust that you're going to do what I think is the right thing with that data. So what's the harm um, if if I buy, you know, I, I listen to several Audible audiobooks a month and I buy other stuff from Amazon. Um, and if if Amazon you know sells a list that says and I don't know that they do and I doubt I'm not sure that they they can they wouldn't withstand the scrutiny if if they did but um, you know it says hey you know this guy clearly uh, is on a low carb diet and eats a lot of keto stuff and is uh, really into yoga and uh, you know hates cats um, what what's the harm? If, if that gets out into the marketplace? Well, I think there's a couple things. First is kind of going back to that concept of confidentiality. It's, and you even mentioned it before, that it's my data. 
the individual's data. So if I didn't say that you can share, maybe I don't want people to know that I'm on a diet. That's my information. So who gives the company the right to decide how it can be used and shared? And that's the major argument that happens from a privacy perspective. You might think, well, it was just shoes. Okay, so it's shoes. Maybe that seems slightly benign. What happens when we start moving to health information or qualitative factors? For example, if I listen to a song from a certain ethnicity, does that automatically put me in that ethnic bucket? And now there's a profile that's been created about me. And that profile can be shared amongst hundreds of companies currently in that ecosystem. Decisions could be made against me. Uh, offers might be made based on that. That could be higher or lower. So there can be discrimination and bias that we might not even thought about before. Uh, if you think about domestic situations, if you think about divorce and separation, if you honestly just even think about the element of surprise, let's not go negative and let's just think happy. If you were trying to surprise someone, you're on your, I mean, literally, I, my daughter sometimes uses my phone in, in our long car rides for music. And if she goes to the internet, I have to make sure that I'm thinking, gosh, if I searched on particular sites, that the thing isn't going to follow her for her upcoming birthday. How do I protect that she can just listen to music but isn't going to have my birthday present spoiled for her? So what might seem you know, benign and not a big deal because of some of the basic elements, but the basis is that it's your data. It's about you. And are you okay with how that's going to be shared? We have health information, children's information. Think about how we're, we've been in a pandemic for years. If we just think about the different um, apps that parents have been using, schools have been using, after-school programs have been using, all those companies are collecting information on children, and who knows how that information will be collated. Parents tend to really want to protect their children. When you kind of start to look at it like that, I think then people begin to realize, mm, you know what, I want to under it's mine. I want to know what you're doing with it, and I want to say. And the last example I'll give is, Imagine you had someone behind you who left this morning. Um, you left for work and you had someone behind you who followed you. Maybe you went for coffee, dropped your child off at daycare, stopped at the gym, forgot something at the grocery store, find your way to the office, know exactly where it is that you park, what floor you went on, what you're going to order for lunch, and we continue the story on the way home. If I was behind you with that notepad marking every single thing that you had, you would turn around at me with crazy eyes and say, what are you doing and who are you and why are you stalking me? That's what we do online. Mm. That's Excellent. what we do. So in the physical world, people would say, mm -mm, no, you can't do that. But in the digital world, because it's easy, we've collected it. And maybe I'll use it one day. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're a SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for half a professional development credit. And if you're an HRCI certified professional, this episode is approved for half an hour of business recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 42 and enter the keyword privacy. That's P-R-I- V-A-C-Y. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. 
I have 10 hours of recorded webinars, each approved for an hour of recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. Three are even approved for HRCI business credit and one qualifies for ethics credit. You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Jody Daniels. I'm a licensed private investigator in addition to an HR consultant because the two things work together. And, uh, you know, data that, that we have access to that the general public doesn't generally, at least according to the terms and conditions of the data providers, uh, is all governed by you know, the Graham Leach Bliley Act, the Drivers Privacy Protection Act, things like that, and state laws about uh, how we use information and there's permissible purposes and all of that. And we've got, we've long, you know, had a longstanding issue, even with our corporate clients, if they find a re- need to locate somebody, uh, a former employee who they've still got 401k money for, or they need to transfer, or uh, they, you know, um, or sometimes we work with their security departments and the security departments have identified some threat and they need to know information. There are certain circumstances where, I'll, you know, our answer is, yeah, I can find them. I mean, if somebody's not actively trying to be really off the radar, it's, you know, I can generally find somebody. But our policy is they've got to have a permissible purpose under, you know, the, the applicable laws. But then even then we won't share their contact information without that person's authorization. Um, and that's been a, I think we were one of the early adopters of that more than 20 years ago in our industry, in this, in the private investigation side of the business. Uh, but now it's kind of, you know, common practice because we've had high profile things where stalkers went and hired a PI and the PI willy nilly gave them the information. And we've seen, um, uh, an actress murdered and other people, uh, attacked, uh, uh, by deranged people. So some of that, that makes sense, I guess. The, and I, and I, in, in, if we could, you know, and there are companies that are aggregating all this data, you know, uh, uh, here locally, Buxton is based here in North Texas. And there's other companies that collect that information for marketing and all those purposes and can really zero in on a demographic. Um, but, you know, if I'm an Amazon or I'm, I'm a, you know, a, 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 you know, a large retailer, online retailer, I've got somebody like you in house telling me, right, this is, and, and, and I guess your that job, especially internally is, is, is part legal and compliance expert and part ethicist, right? I mean, I mean, how much, how much debate is there in an organization about, okay, we can legally do this and it's compliant, but should we, I mean, are those even conversations that happen or, or are we just saying, yeah, let's do it if we can? Now, those are a great question. And it depends on the organization. It's very much tied to mission and values of, of an organization. And you're starting to see a lot more of that ethical conversation connected to privacy. In companies, privacy can sometimes sit in the legal team and sometimes sit in compliance and sometimes sit in marketing or a whole host of other places. There's not as perfect a home for where privacy fits. It's very dependent on the organization. Really large organizations sometimes have both. They might have a privacy attorney or plural in a legal group, and then they have operational people, which is actually what we do. We're helping companies on the operational side. So you might have operational people trying to do this. And to bring your question connected, you might have all of those people 
you're trying to find the projects where there's that question of, can we use the data? And then should we use the data? You have both of those that have to get connected. And those are things that should be coming through a regular privacy program. And if I have a new project, a new initiative, you're asking exactly those kinds of questions. What are those questions as far as, if I'm trying to say, okay, I know I can legally use it. Let's just say, let's go there. But I'm, I'm weighing the ethical issues. I mean, or whatever the generally accepted practices are around this. Uh, what questions should I be asking myself? I think the first question is, what do my customers or my employees think is expected with this data? What, what do they expect we're going to do with it? And my very formal definition of if you think there's going to be the scratch your head test, uh, or what I say is you should have the scratch your head test. And if you think that they're going to say, hmm, I wasn't expecting that then it wasn't a good experience. Have you ever received an email and wondered, how on earth did I get this email? Who are these people? I don't even know them or I don't remember them. Mm -hmm. If you've ever received a catalog at your home and said, well, I, I don't want this catalog. I, I just, I don't want it. It's wasteful. That's the same kind of thing. Customers have received something that they didn't expect. And I think if you're going to go through the effort of communicating, whether it's a new product, it's a marketing campaign, or even if it's benefits to employees, how they receive it should be connected to what their expectations are. So let's talk about employees then. You know, we've got listeners from, you know, small businesses with five or 10 employees or even fewer to, you know. HR professionals uh, in really large organizations, you know, where maybe their their employee population is is you know a small percentage of the of the entire entity. But let's talk about the small and medium businesses that may not have a fully fledged a privacy officer or at least a privacy. You know, there are a lot of them. You have to name a privacy officer for a lot of your agreements and things, but they don't really know much beyond. Uh, whatever their, their contractual obligations are. But what do you see the, for those small to medium businesses? What are the typical challenges they face on the privacy front? The beginning is two. One is wh what laws apply to me and what I need to do with them. Uh, one of the easy items is many people think it's where the company is located, and it is not. It is where your customers or employees are located. I always joke, I could be in Tahiti sipping my strawberry drink and have some type of blog with global customers. Lucky me, I have mm -hmm. to deal with them all. The second is going to be knowing where your data is because any of these laws are going to have a long list of requirements, security requirements, notice requirements, meaning that wonderful privacy notice. I'm sure all of us have read thoroughly uh, the thing around cookies. There's all kinds mm -hmm. of requirements, but you can't, and you actually mentioned right to be forgotten, which is under GDPR and mm -hmm. under almost every new modern data privacy law out there. You can't begin to create an accurate privacy notice, which mind you is required for employees in California and in the EU and other countries. You can't begin to do that for your customers. You can't begin to do any of the individual rights or even that question we just talked about, can you or should you, if you don't know what data you have and where it is. A lot of times companies will start with the IT team because they think systems, IT manages those, and that seems like a great logical place. However, it excludes 
all the different agencies and contractors that people have and how they've downloaded to Excel or PDF and shared it over the wall, or the little SaaS tool that was super easy to find. Think events, think holiday parties, think gifting, think surveys. All of that has personal information. And those tools are typically, Susie and the company just went and signed up for it, which is great potentially for whatever Susie went to do. But from a privacy point of view, you need to find all of that to make sure that you're able to honor all the obligations and make sure that wherever the data went, that company is also going to comply with the privacy obligations too. So location is, is the legal issues and where the data is stored. And so you're talking about like with Susie there, if Susie wants to do a company event and uh, she uses some third-party web-based app to, to coordinate people's calendars and people are either, either she's connecting their calendar somehow to, to this app so people can schedule or they're, they're doing it voluntarily. Should she even be aware of who this company is? Does she really need to worry about who this third-party app company is that's collecting people's calendar schedules or their availability or whatever? I mean, is that the, the granular level you're talking about? It's exactly the granular level I'm talking about. So in that situation, either Susie needs to be a privacy expert and knowledgeable and know what to ask, or Susie just needs to know, oh, I'm doing something. I should go and find who could help me from a privacy point of view. So for the smaller companies, you still need at least someone who, even if it's going to be hiring external resources, someone who's the central point person to making sure the company is dealing with privacy. And oftentimes companies start with the security side for a lot of really good reasons. We want to make sure that all the data is protected. At the same time, the security team is not always the right team to manage the privacy side. It, it sometimes starts there, but they're, they're different as we've been talking about here. Training is really helpful to employees to understand what is this privacy law and how does it impact what they're doing. Later this week, we're actually delivering a training to a, a global company and to their HR teams. And it will be tailored so that they get enough of an understanding of the different laws applicable to them. But then we're going to hone in on the different nuanced situations that HR teams might need to deal with. Now, think about that across the company. Marketing teams might need to know something different than the finance team. Finance team needs to know something different than the HR team or the product team. Everyone has a role in the company. It's just a little bit different. I'm a big believer in that concept of role-based training, whether it can just be a simple workshop to talk to people because people like to ask their 100 questions. And this way, you're making sure that at the end, maybe they haven't become a certified privacy expert like we talked about at the beginning of our conversation today, but they know just enough to have little antennas on their heads that say, oh, I should make sure I'm doing the right thing here. And that's what we want to make sure that we can get employees to be thinking about is, is thinking about privacy, just like how much does something cost? How many people do I need to do this? Oh, do I need the IT team? Do I need a legal contract? Everyone's thinking about that from a project perspective. We need privacy to join the conversation. So you're talking to an HR group later this week. So what are some of the high points? Where do you see you know, the gaps in the employment relationships, uh, as far as privacy, from from the you know from the initial application per, uh, point of view to 
onboarding and ongoing benefits administration, all those things. Where, where, where do you see most small and medium companies have, have, have gaps or things they haven't considered with regard to privacy? One of the first ones is going to be that privacy notice and realizing that applicants should be covered in a privacy notice. And employees, again, depending on where these small companies are located and where their employees are located, will dictate if they also need an employee privacy notice. Now, some companies will say, just my employees in California get a privacy notice. And other companies will say, we're just going to treat everybody special and equal. So that's a bit of a company decision. The first would be those notices. Uh, the second's going to be individual rights. In the EU, employees count. They get individual rights too. And soon to come in California, they will also get in individual rights. How you will manage that is a very important piece. There's a process element and a legal element. So it will be really important to work with your HR legal teams to be able to figure out if Jody, the disgruntled employee, says, I want you to delete my data, which data can you and can't you delete? That is an HR legal question. The process of how you will manage that is an operational question. How does Jody make my request? And who's going to check it? And who's going to connect all the right people? So companies are missing understanding how to deal with that piece as well. And then the last I think would be how you are able to understand that employees in these different regions have different views of privacy. Jody in the EU might not want you to go to my system, grab my birth date, and share it with everyone in the company to have our monthly cake. Maybe I don't like that. Now, you, there's ways of how to solve that. Maybe you ask me, would I like to participate in a birthday cake celebration? And for people who are cake happy here in the United States, they might think, huh, what are you talking about? It's just free cake. But that is the perspective and the differences amongst the laws. So it's really important to think of who first. We think of the employee first. We don't think about us and what we're trying to do first. We think about the employee first. What is okay to them? And let's just ask them and give them some of those choices. So March of 2020, we all went remote. And uh, a lot of us aren't going back. And I just uh, had Sarah Glasser, an employment law attorney, on uh, and the podcast, and she and she was talking about the concerns of you know confidentiality and privacy of people working in Starbucks and in other public places. And uh, and it wasn't that long ago, I was sitting in my local bougie coffee shop and uh, the people in the table behind me were having a or she was having a phone conversation. And it was an HR issue and my HR antenna went up and I wanted to, I almost interjected and said, well, this is not how you want to handle this situation from an HR point of view, but I kept my mouth shut. But then I thought if, if she was one of my, if I was one of her customers or knew what company she was actually working for, uh, this is not something that they would want to have aired out in public in a, in a coffee shop or other. What, what kind of privacy issues do you see? in remote work, not just at people working from public places, but just since we've sent people home with access to data, you know, that they need to do their jobs, what, what kind of issues are, are there different? Is it unique or is it the same as what they were doing in the office? And we just have to, we just have to just keep reminding them that this is how we do business. It's a little bit of the same, but it's it's exacerbated. So one of them is, in addition to what you just talked about, speaking in public places, we also have to remember that people have 
Amazon Alexas and Series and Ring doorbells and all kinds of other listening devices. And you don't really want to always have those kinds of conversations in front of your listening devices. Okay, now now we got to get into this. Okay, so <laughs> I've I've heard all kinds of crazy. I've got some some very tinfoil hat friends who 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 believe that uh, Jeff Bezos is sitting on the other end listening to every single uh, uh, Amazon whatever Echo whatever it is uh, conversation out there. The, the raw amount of computing power that would be necessary for all of that, those conversations to get uploaded would be phenomenal. Uh, so how much, how much risk is there really if, and I'm not going to say the magic words, Hey, what's her name? Because my phone, my watch and everything will explode at the same time and ask me what I want. But how, I mean, they're listening for certain words that, you know, that, that, that wake them up and turn their attention on. So how much, how much risk is there really? Am I underestimating it? Am I poo-pooing it too much? I think there's a risk. I think you wouldn't want to have a confidential conversation where those devices are listening because the more words they have, the smarter they are. The more people talk, the more words they have, the more they're listening. It's kind of interconnected. So I, I wouldn't want a confidential conversation where those particular things are listening. And if we think about kind of a ring doorbell, you know, let me take this call right outside, but you're sitting right inside and you can play the little video and you can hear it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's kind of right there, especially with the ring doorbells. And I have a ring doorbell. I yeah. love my ring doorbell, um, but we don't stand in front of it with confidential phone calls because I don't want that recorded. And so, wow. I, and I didn't even thought about my ring doorbell. That's the... and you know, we're getting closer to warmer weather and I'm going to start doing my, my morning one-to-ones with, with my employees and stuff on the front porch again. So now I need to go figure out how to turn off my ring doorbell, uh, before, uh, cause I guess I'm in mean, a worst case scenario, that's exhibit a in my next, you know, in my fraud trial or whatever. And, uh, I hadn't thought about it. Wow. That's interesting. Yep. Any last takeaways about privacy that you think, uh, small to medium businesses should really pay attention to, or maybe what's, if I'm if if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, oh crap, what am I going to do now? Uh, what what what's my first step? I think the big risk for small to mid mid sized businesses is that they think they're too small and no one's interested in them. So you, the other half to the concern of remote work is that people are on their personal devices. You know what? We have family members on personal devices. I'm just going to send this to my personal thing so I can hit print because I don't have my work device hooked to my printer. Now you have personal information on personal laptops. Or if you log in on a website on the personal laptop, now you have the same personal information on a laptop. All of those are real concerns and exacerbated because people aren't as in the office as possible. But bad people and hackers, and they love small businesses because it's easy. They know that they don't have the right security measures in place. So from a security point of view, get your ducks in a row because small is target. From a privacy point of view, the most important piece is also to kind of realize small is important to you because the regular customer doesn't differentiate between small. Oh, you're small. That's okay. No problem. You can do whatever you'd like. No, we don't walk around that way. We, we think you're going to act just like the bigger companies because that's our expectation. And so the same is true from a privacy point of view. Start with your data. Know where your data is. That's the first place to understand. Then you can also begin to figure out 
what kind of start from the outside. What do you tell people? What kind of privacy notice do you have? And then you start to work your way with what your internal processes can be. But you have to start with knowing what data you have. Then you can begin to communicate and be transparent and kind of work your way through the rest of a legal requirement and to your comment earlier on the ethics of what is okay. So not just can I and from a legal compliance, but go above and beyond to the should or shouldn't I. Right. Well, thank you for joining us. That's all the time we have today, but I appreciate you being with me, Jody. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I will link to the She Said Privacy, He Said Security podcast in the show notes and on the website. Thank you. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And they're going to track every time you click on it. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.